watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. of the Coach's Kid here on the Sports Objective Podcast channel. On our initial episode a week ago, we caught up with Tommy Bowden, of course the son of college football legend Bobby Bowden. And uh, tonight, kind of shifting over from the gridiron to the hardwood, very excited to catch up with Kate Holland Baynard, who is, of course, the daughter of Terry Holland. Kate, welcome in. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No doubt, uh, you know, we at East Carolina, we think so highly of, of your dad and everything that he did for the Pirates um, back in from 2004 through 2013. And, um, you know, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you. So, um, you know, take us back to um, to your childhood uh, you know, when, when your dad had, of course, you know, he was from Clinton, North Carolina. And then, um, you know, during your childhood, he was he was coaching at Davidson. Uh, where he had, of course, played for Lefty Giselle, and then he went on to become a very successful head coach also at UVA, uh, where he spent, oh, uh, what, about a decade and a half. So you know, tell us uh, some of your earliest memories of your father. Uh, well, both my parents are from Clinton, so they grew up together. Um, so it was always really fun. Our whole family, you know, was in one place um, to come back to visit. So we love Eastern North Carolina. Um I was six months old when dad got hired by Mr. Corrigan at UVA. So really his coaching career was, you know, I was six months old. And then the end of my junior year is when he went back to um, Davidson and I stayed in Charlottesville for my senior year. Let's let's step back a little bit further um, from, and and we'll we'll get back to your high school years and um, his time at Davidson, but let's, um, so you were elementary and middle school age when he was having his success at UVA. Yeah, uh, yeah. Although, all yeah, six months through my junior year in high school was when he was a, a coach at Virginia. Yeah. So, so what are your what, what are you what are some of your memories there of, of of you know the success he had at UVA uh, as the head coach, taking him to the Final Four multiple times, et cetera? Yeah, you know, Dad always did a really good job of. Um, I mean, it was obviously his job but it was our family and we did it all together. So we traveled with the team. The team was part of our family. Ralph lived in the basement. Um, you know, um, he was just getting hounded living on the lawn. Um, so the NCAA approved him to move into the basement and it really was wonderful. I mean, it was like having 17 older brothers at all times um, in all the best ways. You know, when Thriller came out, we all sat up in the basement at midnight to watch it together. And um, Christmases, um, dad was adamant if kids had to be away from their families for the first time for Christmas, that he wasn't going to take them to the Midwest. So we did amazing I mean, we did the Maui Classic, we did Nice, we did, um, we traveled and had so much fun together. Um, 
and you know those are your big brothers on christmas morning that's you know that is your family um and it was it was very special um there were some it's their fans so when you lose they don't like you <laughs> so there was ups and downs but um much more ups than downs um yeah. it was very special you mentioned ralph sampson uh, obviously living in the basement uh what is the story behind that i mean was he just situation where where he came from a background where he needed didn't have a lot of money or why, why was Ralph Sampson living in the basement at, at, at uh, Coach Holland's house? It became a security issue. He was living on the lawn, which is, you know, a huge um, um, benefit. I mean, it's an, it's, it's an honor to live on the lawn, um, but there's no privacy. You have to walk out and go out and down to the bathroom. And, you know, suddenly he was big and everybody wanted to talk to him at all times. And he's the nicest guy. So he didn't really know how to shove people away and go, you know, get to his room and get, get some privacy. So dad talked to the NCAA and they said, yeah. Um, and he, he lived down there. Um, we had to have mark off our food separately. So he had like his own food. We, we would go eat his food, but we weren't supposed to. <laughs> um, but he couldn't come up to the upstairs refrigerator and eat ours. There were lots of, you know, rules. Um, but, so um, it would it would have been an NCAA violation had he eaten food out of your refrigerator? Yeah, I don't know the ins and outs because I was so little. I just remember right. his food's down there and our food's up here. And, yeah, you kind of had to keep certain things separate. How old were you when, when, when Ralph was living? So I would have been first and second. Um, yeah. And, um we would get in, you know, he, he's such a nice guy. So, like, he'd always tell when we were playing his records when he was away at class because we'd scratch him. And <laughs> um, he, he's just a great guy. He still is the best big brother. That's awesome. It's awesome to hear that you have that kind of relationship with him because he, he was such a superstar. Are there, are there any other players to stand out to you like that that you had a special relationships with? So many. Um um, Rick Carlisle moved his piano into his dorm room and dad got called at like midnight saying this is not going to work. And so then he came over <laughs> and, yeah, and was given like access at all times to the piano, which if you walked in our house, it was in the first room on the left. Um, so, you know, we'd be asleep and we'd hear the piano and go running down and he would play like the Charlie Brown theme song and we'd dance. And then that was kind of like. <laughs> that one song we could go up and go to sleep and we had to leave him alone from there um but i mean all, all of them uh, marcus ivoroni came back when he left the sixers i guess um and he and caroline had their new baby down in the basement um it was very it was very i don't i don't know how to describe it we just kind of did everything together um um it was super fun um super fun and um probably intimidating to boys as I got older that wanted to date because you literally had 17 older brothers like to deal with. <laughs> um, yeah, that's an interesting point that you bring up there that, that once yeah. you got to that age, your dad was still coaching all the way through high school up to dating age. Yeah. The, yeah. That you, you had, you had uh, all those basketball brothers there who uh, they had to deal with. What was that like? And what, and what was your dad like? What was Terry like to your boyfriends? He was always great. Um, he was always great. He, um, 
you know, would have people over and our house just was so full all the time. So whether it was a boyfriend or a player or a player's girlfriend or, a, you know, it just, I mean, there were times at Thanksgiving where we had tables going out the front door and into the yard um, just to fit everybody. Because um, some people get left at home. Some people, you know, can't fly home. And then suddenly it's one of the player's roommates or friends. And um, it just was a very full fun childhood um um even you know even when things went wrong I mean there'd be mornings my sister and I would cut out the articles in the newspaper and poor dad would open the newspaper and there'd be like big holes and he would just read it pretending that's what it looked like you know (laughs) um so you know there were times we all just felt like we were kind of protecting each other um so you didn't feel alone and dad did a great job of understanding like the only kids that understood what we were going through were other coaches' kids. So we were um, in touch with the Krzyzewskis and the Valvanos and, you know, they're all girls. Um, So that was very special. Um, You know, when they'd come and play at home, the Valvano girls and us would go sledding and, you know, hang out. And you, you at least knew there were people there who knew what you were going through because people don't, fans don't always realize, you know, it's, it's your job. You know, um, that was the hardest thing for my husband when we got married was, you know, he's like, I hate that coach and I hate that, you know, and then he has to sit and eat dinner with their family and he realizes they're people. (laughs) So he always says it took the fun out of it for him. (laughs) You mentioned that aspect of it. So what was that like when people, for you as a young girl, teenager, adolescence, when people were critical of your father as a head coach. Um, what was that like for you personally, having to deal with that? And did you, did you ever have to, uh, I don't know, you, you being a, a girl, maybe it wasn't as bad as if you were a boy, but going to high school there in, in Charlottesville, middle school, uh, when UVA would lose, did you ever have to hear any uh, any, any, any kind of, did, did anybody ever mess with you because your dad lost kind of kind of thing? Yeah, um, yeah, um you know, I, we woke up one morning and we had lost to Carolina and there was this little like sliver of paper stapled to every light pole up and down the whole neighborhood saying fire Terry Holland. And I remember my sister and I going off and pulling them all off because we were just protective of him, you know? Um, yeah. And um, so there was, there was certainly that piece. There's always like that just jerk of a teacher who doesn't get it, who like makes everybody, you know, um, sing the, Carolina fight song and I'm walking in there and we've just lost and you know, they just, they don't get it. Yeah. They don't get it. Um, but I don't think, I think dad kind of raised us that we can't really expect people to get it. They just, they don't. Um, and for them it's, it's fun. It's a pastime and it's not their life. Their life change when they go home. Lost. (laughs) No, I'm glad you brought, go ahead, Bob. I'm glad you brought it up from that angle because in last week's episode with Tommy Bowden in the lead in kind of setting the stage for this particular show, because this is just episode two, um, just how in many people's lives, like you're saying, um, they don't understand, you know, why you get so maybe so upset or all the emotions that come with it, because when you're a coach and coach's family, it is more than just a game. I um, mean, you know, it is a livelihood and I'm, I'm glad that we, you know, we're taking a look at things from this angle. 
Yeah, you know, my, my parents had always, um, my dad's mom was a teacher, my mom was a teacher, her mom was a teacher. So they had always taken the line of you defend the teachers, you defend the school. And there was one incident where I remember um, one of the donor's kids and we had lost and he was telling me that I was going to have to pack and move and they were getting rid of him. And, you know, and I punched him right in the face. And um, <laughs> how, and how old were you? I was maybe sixth grade um, okay. here. And um, and and I remember dad, who never would do that, you know, came up and I mean, never rolled into school and was like, she shouldn't have to she shouldn't have to put up with this, you know, Um if an attorney loses a case, the kids aren't teasing them at school. If a doctor loses a patient, which is not the same thing, um, but the adversity that people go through with their jobs shouldn't be dragged through with the kids. But it it just is in sports. It's part of it. No, and certainly, and and it's one thing to be coming from another kid, but an incident like a teacher singing the Carolina fight song. Yeah, they may yeah. have went to UNC and be a huge fan, but you you, you should have enough of self awareness to. Yeah, you know, do that if you're teasing another kid that's a UVA fan, but not the coach's daughter. Yeah, and, and people just don't—they don't always appreciate it. I'm sure they do later, but um, you know, it's 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 one of those. It's, I think every kid probably felt like their dad's job was stressful. So, um, and they and they probably are. <laughs> Um, we did have one incident, you know, when um, I, I think it was explained that Vegas had opened up to betting on games. And I guess somebody had approached dad about, I don't know, something. And he just turned them in immediately. And um, so we had safety issues from there. And our lines wow. were tapping. You had to have a code word to pick us up from school. And because there were, you know, um, dad was pretty adamant he wasn't going to throw a game. <laughs> and they didn't like that. So some mafia type stuff there is what you're saying? I have, yeah, I have no idea. Um, and that I don't, sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if it's like that's third party or something. It just became very quickly that suddenly we had security in the house and things were going to be different. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so, um, and it and it was about betting and dad was like, no. Um, so, you know, there, there were issues like that. And I, my kids are a little bit more guarded than other kids, I think, because I grew up like that. Um, you know, in elementary school, there's a reason for Shark to have a name. <laughs> a code <laughs> and gets him, but there was. <laughs> um, um, so you just grow up kind of a different, um, more guarded, more private, um, which isn't such a bad thing. And I was so lucky that, dad was able to find places that were private. I mean, we had a beach house out this way that there were like very few homes on. Nobody could come up and talk to us. Nobody. I mean, we got to just be out there and be kids and not have to worry about who reflecting on the university or reflecting on, you know, um, he did such a great job of finding us our spaces. Well, we'll obviously get back to, to, to your dad here in a second, because that's what the, you know, the show's primarily about, but, uh, <laughs> I wanted to mention your mom, Ann. Um, your mom, you know, don't know her well, but I, I knew her, you know, in passing. Um, she's a spitfire, man. I, I uh, she, she, she probably um, didn't take too much crap from people talking trash about your dad to her. No, no, definitely not. Um, definitely not. And she was able to kind of find her own way while being, you know, 
that under the shadow of dad, you know, she was able to, she did photography and took pictures at games and, you know, really um, was able to have her own life too. Um, which is, it's hard for everybody to find their way when you are dropping everything every time there's a tournament or there's a playoff or there's a, you know, um, cause your world revolves around that schedule. You know, one of my favorite things I remember about your mom, <laughs> when your dad was AD in East Carolina in 07, when North Carolina made their, their uh, second ever trip to Dottie Ficklin Stadium and uh, the first trip while your dad was AD. And uh, he wanted East Carolina fans to chant, Welcome Tar Heels, when, uh, when, when the Tar Heels ran in. Now, he knew we weren't going to do that. Your dad, <laughs> see, I got your dad. I got your dad from day one. Your dad knew damn well that wasn't going to happen. Right. But what he wanted to do was make sure that he was trying to send out the message. If you want these guys to come back, be on your best behavior. Right. Um, and he knew we weren't going to chant welcome to Ariel's. And I remember your mom being asked on pirate radio, uh, what she thought of. And she said, I'm not chant welcome. To right. <laughs> I just, that just stands out. Uh, she, she had no love for, uh, for the Hills. No. But, uh, no, that's a, yeah. That was a big rivalry. <laughs> yeah, I um, I, I'll go ahead and get into this, Bob, and then whatever well, you want to backtrack to. But I'll just. I'll well, just are are, are you going away? Are you going away from from Ann? Because I, if if you are, uh, I wanted to ask a question. You, you bring, sure, go bring go up, ahead, Bob. Go ahead. you bring up Ann in Pirate Radio. Obviously, she had her own show on Pirate Radio. Um, so I, I thought about that when you were talking about her having her own hobbies and doing her own thing. So, um, you know, what, what, are, what are your memories of that? Yeah, um, that was, I was kind of, that was later when I already had like a, two babies that I was kind of, right. um, but, um, but I loved it. I mean, I thought that was so, I mean, it's just so her to just, I want to do this and now I'm going to go do it. Um, so, and I love having some of those recordings. Um, we've been back, going back through them the last few months, especially. Your dad um, just for my interactions with your dad, you know, I, I met your dad for the first time in 2004 when he became the East Carolina athletic director. And I was nobody. Uh, not that I'm anybody now, but people know who I am. I, you know, I've had a podcast for five and a half years. Uh, I'm rather pretty well known in Pirate Nation. 2004, I was 24 years old. I was a nobody. Um, your dad treated me like I was somebody. Your dad treated everybody. Everybody. With, with so much respect. Um, and the, the greatest thing, you know, I'm getting emotional here when I'm talking about it, but the greatest thing to me about your dad was just the incredible ability to listen to people's ideas. And it didn't matter who they were, how big of a donor they were, how little of a donor they were. He would listen. And if you had a good idea, by God, he would implement it. And, you know, there are things that I suggested to him. He, we would email, me and, me and Coach Island would email back and forth yeah. multiple times a week. And, and I know I'm not the only one. I've had conversations with other people. I, I don't know how the man had that many minutes in a day. And there right. were things that, you know, in my late 20s that I would mention to him that I would then hear him turn around and mention and implement and he, he just had the incredible ability to listen to people, take ideas, no ego. I don't know if your dad had an ego or not, but he did not outwardly. No, no. 
No, I think, I think the coolest thing about dad is, you know, he was not some kind of horse farmer or some wealthy something, you know, I think he always felt like he was just lucky and happened to be in the right place at the right time with Lefty. And it gave him this and it gave him this and that everybody had the same right to that if they wanted to work and scramble and try. Um, that's definitely what was taught to us was, you know, you're not more important than anybody else. Um, and, and, you know, our relationships are the same with Coach Odom and his family and, you know, Monk who took the tickets and, you know, these, they, they all were equally special and part of our family, whether you swept the floor or, you know, were his boss, we're all in it together. Um, Dad had such a remarkable ability to never get full, you know, like there, it just never mattered. Like at the last minute, there was always, he's scrambling for an extra ticket or an extra something or needed to make five minutes to go talk to somebody on the sideline who just had a grandbaby or like, to me, that's the part that especially in the last few months has just been overwhelming being a mom and having my own kids when there's plenty of times I'm not him. And I feel like I can't, I can't even balance one more thing. Um, and he just always added to his plate and made extra time. I don't, I don't know how it, it was really remarkable. No, I yeah, like, go ahead, like, like Kyle said, I'm, you know, I was around the same you know, age um, as Kyle during those years and um, had the opportunity to interact with Coach Holland multiple times at, um, you know, be it an East Carolina baseball game, football game, pirate club functions, you name it. And, you know, I was you know, just given a couple hundred dollars and, you know, he, he had no clue who I was, but, you know, he would initiate conversations with me, you know, like, like I was uh, a large donor, you know, like, like Kyle said, and I think so many administrators, coaches, you know, just people in general, you know, forget what you do, can uh, learn so much from that. Well, and he also got into it way back when you were getting into it to be a teacher and to be like someone who mattered to young men and helping build them, you know, and then it, it turned on him, just the profession in general, and it became more celebrity and money and fame, um, and a little bit less about the kids, you know, um, it's just, I think where he, when he started and where and who he was around made a really big impact on how he was going to carry it forward. And I think being a player makes a difference too. You know, he knows what it's like to sit on that free throw line. He knows what it's like to have the people booing or cheering. And it does give you a sense of empathy for these kids. Um, being away from home, you know, his mom was sick while he was in college and being away from home, he was always able to really appreciate that these kids are away from home. <laughs> um, and you are their person. Um, and he took it seriously. Um, um, at the, at the funeral, the number of people, you know, saying, oh my gosh, and he would follow up. And when I had my grandchild and when I had my this, and it, it was just, um, staggering. Um, it was just, I've never felt jealous for having to share him with so many people. Um, there are a couple of times when I was younger where I wanted to be able to finish my dinner and not be interrupted. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, I kind of got it, you know, like it, it just it was fun being around him. Um, he's just to be able to have the sense of humor and the IQ and all of it is just fascinating to be around. I mean, he could you'd be on a walk and he could pick four berries and eat them 
tell you everything about them and the birds, but <laughs> no support Donkey Kong. And you know, <laughs> um, it just, I think he wanted to learn and know as much as he could. And that, that included people. Now I'm you cut you- out there. Did you say something about Donkey Kong? Oh yeah. So, yeah. So like, you know, he'd know every bird, every species of, you know, plant, but he'd also know like all the shortcuts to Donkey Kong. No one can beat him at Donkey Kong. No one. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we had one in our house in the basement. Um, the players, you know, we'd just have lines going around waiting to play in and you just felt like you were waiting for hours for dad to finish. <laughs> That's nice. That's one of my favorite games of all times. I'm glad to hear Coach Holland love Donkey Kong. I oh, would, yeah. Would have oh, never yeah. guessed that. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, we and, and, we'll, and we'll step back some and, and talk about more, you know, when you were a kid and all. But obviously, me and Bubba's biggest frame of reference to your dad personally, as we mentioned, was his time at ECU. Yeah. And, you know, he got here in 04, so... You were, you know, you were grown, you know, oh, four, you would have been around 30 years old. Yep. So what, you know, I remember your dad was a consultant for us. Um, when I say us, I mean, ECU. Yep. And he, you know, was not, you know, really considering taking the job. He was trying to find the right man for the job and somehow got talked into to, to taking it that he would be the right man for the job. And what, what were your thoughts on that when your dad, you know, who had retired from, from, from UVA, you know, and I guess in 01 from being the AD. And uh, what, what were your what were your thoughts? Were you surprised when he got back into it and became the AD at ECU? No. Um, we were surprised at ECU just because we didn't know much about ECU. Um, but, um, you know, he is Eastern North Carolina through and through. I mean, all of us are. Um, even though we grew up in Virginia, um, that's our home is, you know, we're all that we're all from Clinton, really. And um, and I think he was really passionate. His mom and my mom's mom went to ECU and um, both were teachers. And I think he's always felt like Davidson used to be, you know, huge um, in the sports world. And then everything changed from when he was there um, to yeah. now. He always felt like ECU just had the potential to truly be amazing. And the idea of going back to Eastern North Carolina and putting his money where his mouth, as he said, 8,000 times, you know, was just the perfect challenge for him. Um, Cause I think he felt like those were his people. Um, that's where he's from. I mean, when he got to Virginia, all everybody talked about was his accent and, you know, um, <laughs> it took him five syllables to say Clinton. And um, so, you know, I think, I think it felt like home to him a little bit and felt like something that should be able to be really good um, and make a name. Yeah. Um, when he, about it. When he got here immediately, you know, I remember one of the first things he did was us to make, but was decide to make a change at head coach, you know, uh, getting rid of John Thompson, hiring Skip Holtz, yeah. you know, he hired, I don't know how, how familiar you are with this, you know, I'm sure you talked to your dad about it, but when he hired Ruffin, um, he was very emotional at that press conference. And if I'm remembering right, he couldn't even introduce him. He had to have your mom introduce him. Um, that that search seemed to be very grueling on him personally. Uh, do, do you remember him talking about that and, you know, just, just everything? And that's, that, I don't think it was just hiring Ruffin. I think the, the search itself just was very difficult. 
the search was difficult. The timing was difficult. Um, the changing of guard was difficult because you had certain coaches that were open, then suddenly they weren't open. And, um, and I think he felt very passionate about Ruffin. And I think there were folks that felt like that was your fourth, fifth choice, whatever. Um, and, um, and he just, he's, that kind of thing has always been very emotional for him. Um, I think he thinks just because somebody thinks that you're not up for the job means you haven't really looked into it. You don't know the person. Um, and it's frustrating. It was always very frustrating for him. Um, I think he kind of felt like he was one of those people, to be honest, um, that, you know, he was good enough, but he didn't have the name or he didn't have the so-and-so when he was younger. Um, and he's always been very uh, protective of that um, and protective of um, uh, people uh, ganging up is the wrong word, um, but using their power in groups um, rather than individually dealing with things. Um, so, you know, as you've said, and everybody knows, he had an open door policy for anyone at any time. Um, so I think going against groups was very frustrating for him in, a, in an emotional way, not just a professional way. Yeah, and no doubt. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this because it would be remiss by our East Carolina fans that watched if I didn't. And uh, just, just, I don't want to turn it negative at all, but just... <clears throat> The way things ended here with yep. Terry uh, really pissed me off. Um, I'm sure it did you and your mom and a lot of other people. Um, I uh, he, the man did so much for East Carolina. Uh, you know, he 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 basically camped out on the lawn of the Big East. I mean, at the time he was doing everything he could. He got us in the Big East. It became the American. You know, um, I, I I shudder to think if Terry Holland wasn't here. We might still be in Conference USA. Yes. I mean, he 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 did so much. The Ruffin McNeil hire was the right hire. Ruffin, Ruffin brought in Lincoln Riley and the Mike Leach staff. And for people, you know, get into after your dad was here when Ruffin was let go, the people that didn't think Ruffin knew what he was doing after Lincoln left, if you go back and look at his staff, every one of those guys are coaching now in the SEC or the Big 12. Ruffin's, Ruffin's last staff, the year that he got fired by um, the guy that tried to replace your father, um, you know, great coaching staff. And just well, talk, and talk about the way – I don't know how much you want to talk about it, but just the way things ended here with your dad. And I hope your dad knew that more people loved him here than, than, than the few that wanted him gone. Um, that was a really difficult time in all of our lives. Um you know, um, it's hard for us not to take it so personally. Um, and all the things that we valued about our dad that are very unpopular, you know, um, you don't fly first class. He didn't, he never, he didn't fly first class. I mean, we weren't these, we had a lot, um, and we certainly didn't go without, but he never took more, you know, um, he wasn't fighting for us to be in first class or him to be in first class. He always tried to lead by example. So it was always tough as a kid when you watched him kind of take it in the teeth to try to show everybody else, this is how we do it. And then people just kind of step and take advantage. Um, 
And there's so many times that we would confront him about it and say, you know, dad, don't this or that. You know, he didn't believe in having an agent. He believed in a handshake, even when it went wrong for him over and over. And I'm married to an attorney who would tell him, no, you need this in writing. And he'd say, no, I, I want I want the handshake um, for deal after deal after deal. And I know that it hurt him when people betrayed him and stepped on him in that regard. But he would openly talk about, I'm not going to change how I am. It's how I am. Um, and that's kind of a reflection on them and not me. Yep. Um, but that was a tough time because, you know, he's trying to set an example and trying to save money by not buying alcohol and trying and saved so much. I mean, and <laughs> that next person spent it like that. <laughs> yes. Yes, ma'am. He sure did. <laughs> so, you know, again, it's it's it was harder for us in a lot of ways than for him, because I think um, it's just how he is. And I think he knows certain people are going to screw you over and that's how they are. Um, but he wasn't going to change how he was. Um, and we had many conversations over the years in many different ways just about being that kind of person. Um, um, you know, he would always say, I, I trust somebody until they teach me not to, you know, and my husband's like, I, I don't trust anybody until they show me that I can. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was, that was tough. Um, was, there, was your dad more comfortable with the, the common man, the blue collar, the, yeah. the, the low tier yeah. donor, so to speak, more than the high level donor? Was he, was he, was he more comfortable in that crowd? Definitely. Definitely. It's what he knew. It's what he grew up with. Um, Definitely. Um, I don't I don't think it was uncomfortable around the other. Um, I think um, I think he just preferred one to the other. Um, you know, I think um, getting real conversations with people is is easier in a certain group than another um, instead of just labels and where you went to school and what you did and what you you know, this, that um, instead of, you know, who you are. Um, and he was very much. Um, I mean, he did go to Davidson and has done a lot, but I don't, I don't think he would ever tout that out anywhere. Um, it's just not who he is. Um, he'd tell you his score in Donkey Kong. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Davidson, uh, you know, coming out of high school, you know, you, you, we've talked about his intelligence, you know, what a smart and humble man he was and, and valedictorian uh, coming out of, coming out of Clinton high school and, you know, one of the things you know, that, uh, you know, I just loved uh, when he was making that case for East Carolina and the Big East that turned into the American Athletic Conference was, um, you can still find this on YouTube, uh, the, the undaunted uh, campaign and, and that presentation. That, that's tremendous, uh, you know, talking about how, yes, we're located in Greenville, North Carolina, that's just shy, right around 100,000 people. And, um you know, some of the some of the perceived negatives, but, you know, East Carolina has a very passionate fan base and, you know, Pirate Nation tunes in when the Pirates are playing, no matter where they're located. So my husband actually went to Chapel Hill and wasn't real thrilled about the first game at ECU and wearing purple, and which he did. And um, and he still says that first game he was like, Kate, it was crazy. It just was electric. I mean, you could just feel the hair on your arms stand up and everybody's singing at the same time and everybody's hands up. And it, it's a special environment that 
I hate a lot of people don't know um, because it, it really is. And we have very special memories from my boys. So Shark was born in 05. So he was just a newborn that I was taking to the games. Um, Holland was five and he would have his notebook with, you know, his donors that he had to go speak to in the suite, <laughs> make sure he got them some popcorn. Um, and he has amazing memories from ECU um, and the people and, and the fans, I mean, they're amazing fans. Um, that's a fantastic environment. And I, we never had to ask Steve to wear an ECU shirt ever again to a game. He was happy to. That's an awesome story. And you know, speaking of awesome environments, um, I believe this picture is from the 2010 victory. Uh, Ruff McNeil's first year uh, when we defeated Russell Wilson. Um, Damon Magazoo getting the key interception. You know, you know. I'm sure you uh, love that picture right there. I believe that's that's Holland, correct? Yeah, that's Holland. So, so yeah, that that was uh, what a memorable day. Hard to believe that was 13 years ago. I know, isn't that crazy? It does not seem like that long. Yeah, 13 years ago since the Tennessee State game, that UNC game you mentioned was in 07. So you're talking 16 years ago for that one. I mean, good lord, we're getting old. I know, but. Uh, the you, you, we, we got to talk about this. We talked about it before the show. Uh, you got one son named Holland, obviously where that name comes from. No, no explanation needed. <laughs> the the other one those can require some explanation. <laughs> tell, tell the world why your son's name is Shark Slayer. I had picked a name that I wanted for Shark. Steve had picked a different name. Um, the nurse came in day two. The baby was still not named. Poor Holland had just been watching that movie Shark Tales for my whole last trimester. So when they said he could name the baby, he said Shark Slayer. And that's back when they put all the babies in one room where everybody could come look at them. And so there was a baby. They put it on his name tag and it said Shark Slayer Baynard. And we were getting flowers, balloons from strangers to the baby named Shark Slayer. So when we actually picked out a name, it just it's never applied. The only person that's ever called him by his real name is his grandmother. And she doesn't even do it anymore. <laughs> So he goes by Shark. Does he ever go by the full Shark Slayer? No, it's usually just Shark. Uh, well, a lot of people call him Little Shark because his brother is so big. But um, um, so it's very common to people. It's confusing for coaches because they're like, he's six four. Why is he called Little Shark? <laughs> but he is. <laughs> now, now, does he ball? How good of a basketball player is he? He's good. He's good. Um, yeah, he's a good. He's a left-handed pitcher um, for baseball, and he's a shooting guard for basketball. He scored 22 points when they played um, Paul McNeil, um, who was Gatorade Player of the Year last two years, and he's going to NC State to play. And Shark held just fine with him this summer. Um, so, yeah, um, there's a lot of good players on his team, though. So it'll be interesting to see, but it'll be fun. It's sad it's a senior year. As far as the name thing, I, I can definitely relate um, because uh, obviously I go by Bubba. And I was Thomas Brett's my given name, but I was an 11 pound, four and a half ounce baby. So I've always been Bubba because I was always an athlete. So my, my, my dad looked at my mom and said, You can forget the name. This is Bubba. So <laughs> that's awesome. it. The dude's got the middle name Brett, played quarterback, and went by Bubba. Yeah, I, I got the Brett Favre thing a lot and uh, also Bubba Sparks. But uh, That's awesome. But kind of going through, uh, you sent me several several photos as well as uh, some that I had found online, um, you know, going back to your father's Celebration of Life event at John Paul Jones Arena 
uh, back this spring. Uh, so I'm going to start off with what you said was certainly one of your favorite, if not your favorite, uh, going back to your childhood. And tell, tell us about your memories of this one. Uh, that was a good time. So um, dad had had a, a moment where he was kind of vacillating over coaching and did he need a break? Did he need? And um, our family just picked up and left and um, got to stay on the phenomenal sailboat in the Virgin Islands for two and a half weeks. And it was really special memory um, for all of us. It, it was it was a hectic pace, you know, back then. Um, he had already gone to the first Final Four. Um, and so to be able to tap out and have two weeks with just the four of us was super special. Um, super, super special. I think we all were worn down and tired and overwhelmed. Um, so that is, that's my very favorite picture. And it describes him so well, you know. Um, um, you know, he wants to go down and see the coral and pick up an anemone and, you know, see what fish we can see. And, and he knew every single one of them. Um, so um, just fun, um, fun. I, I think people know of him more on the court, um, but he could put three water ski lines out behind the boat and we could like braid the ropes. He was, he was just a phenomenal athlete. I mean, whether it was water skiing or anything, um, it was it was fun to be a part of. And for those who are just listening to audio uh, that aren't watching it on YouTube or Facebook, the picture is of Kate and, and Coach Holland snorkeling, and Kate is on uh, Terry's back. Uh, it's a very cute picture. How old were you there? About six? Seven. Seven. I almost nailed it. Yeah. Okay. So, summer after the first Final Four. So, wow. Okay. So he, he was burnt out after the Final Four trip, or, th or was that before the Final Four? Uh, that, that was after. So After, we okay. on to the final four in Philadelphia um, and um, and just needed a break. Um, it was a lot. Um, but again, I mean, just such good times of being able, whether it was just the four of us or whether it was all 50 of us and the equipment guys. And, you know, it. I, I, I'm forever, especially after the fantastic funeral that UVA and everybody held. Um, even when I'm sad and hurt or whatever, you, you almost can't feel anything but feeling grateful for having known him and been a part of this world that he brought around him. Um, it was just fantastic. And everybody around him enjoyed it. Um, you just were happy to be together, even if it was Christmas Eve and you're stuck in an airport and that's where you're sleeping for the night. <laughs> So did you have that happen? You had isn't it where you spent Christmas Eve in an airport? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, where you're trying to get everybody back and it doesn't work. And you know, Dad was really like I said about the if you're going to travel for Christmas, you know, he didn't want to go to the Midwest. Not that there's anything wrong with the Midwest. He wanted to go somewhere where they would learn and you would see something new and different. And so, you know, when we went to Hawaii, we weren't sitting in the hotel room waiting for the game. Like he would have us hike that volcano and go snorkeling like all of us every player every everybody you know so they're playing all cut up from the coral and you know we had a game at madison square gardens that people gave us flack for because the kids had been out too late the night before and dad was like no they're going to a broadway play they've never been to one and we're here you know like he was really big on enjoying the experience instead of just flying in seeing a gym and flying out we never did that um we were we were tourists and we learned new things everywhere um and it was fun speaking of final four appearances I and mean, what are your memories of, of this picture 
So I think that might have been leaving for the game. Um, my biggest memory is Seattle. Um, when we came back, we had lost. And I remember, you know, it was a it was a rough flight and bus ride home. You know, there were some tears and some, you know, disappointment. Um, and we pulled up and I've never seen so many people all around U-Haul. I mean, so, so many people. And I remember I turned to my sister and I said, hey, Michael, they don't know we lost. <laughs> and <laughs> it didn't occur to me that everybody was going to be happy. You know, I kind of felt like everybody was just going to be like, oh gosh, they screwed up. And it was, it was an amazing feeling to pull up and see the whole town and Richmond, you know, um, just out. And it was late. I mean, I was fifth grade, so it could have been 10, but I, I mean, I think it was like midnight. Um, and everyone was out to welcome us in. And that was a warm feeling because that usually doesn't happen when you lose. <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, during your your dad's Davidson years, obviously played for Lefty Giselle and then, um, you know, had that bond with Lefty and then Bob McKillop, um, you know, who, who did such a tremendous coaching job at Davidson. Um, th this was a, a pitcher that I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on as well, just his relationship with those two and uh, the thoughts he shared with you or maybe your relationship, getting to know them through the years. Ah. They're, they're both the best. I mean, Lefty was at my high school graduation. Um, I mean, that that's, it's, it's family. And it's not just, you know, a word printed on the back of somebody's shirt. For us, this really was family. Um, um, the players still people I call, you know, if I'm upset or happy or need to share something. Bryant Stith, you know, came up two weekends ago to see Little Shark play baseball in, in Greensboro. Um, um, I mean, it's, Lefty was dad's coach, you know, when he lost his mom and um, he lost his mom to leukemia and um, and he was there for him. And, um, you know, and Lefty was he's tough. I mean, he's tough. He's going to make you sharper. Um, if you misbehave, you're sitting, you know, next to him and his wife at church on Sunday morning, for sure. Um, <laughs> so it just is. Those are some old school folks that I kind of miss when I look at my kids' experiences. Um, I, I, I think I set the bar a little hard, a little high for what, what I want for them <laughs> because I've seen, you know, this. Um, but um, the, the family piece to me is, is just huge and, and very special. Speaking of the family piece, um, believe this picture that I'm showing you, uh, that was from what, the, the 50th anniversary? Yeah, so that was a 1964 Mustang that my mom just got rid of a couple years ago. That was their first car when they got it. Um, I, I had it up at Wake Forest. It has no power steering. It's awesome, but it's very hard to drive. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so that, that was a special car for them. Um, that was their first car. I think it was their wedding gift to each other. Um, and we've had it until they moved back to Westminster. As they sold it a couple of years ago, you said. Yeah. Oh, you got. You need to get that back for your mom. That's, <laughs> you know, you can. You, they can put power steering in them now. Oh no, I know. <laughs> I know. It, it was the original, like three-speed manual. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I love. I loved it. Um, um, but um, it's soft top, and it's got to be taken care of. Yes, uh, they got to be babied. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. 
So now let me ask you a question here as we start to wrap this up. Um, you talk about your dad and the man he was and in his relationship with players and being like a family. How do you think your dad, and I think he would, knowing your dad, I don't think he'd like it, but I would think he would have, he would have adapted because it's the kind of person your dad was. Um, how do you think he would have handled today's day and age of the transfer portal and NIL besides hating it? Well, you got to remember the only thing he and coach Smith agreed on was freshman ineligibility. So I don't think he would like it at all. <laughs> um, he always believed freshmen shouldn't be eligible. You got to come in, be a student and then play. Um, and he was adamant about that until the very end um, is that, you know, we're wasting spots on kids who have no intention of going to class and taking spots away from people who want to be in school Um and at the end of the day, he truly valued education, um, whether it was in the school or outside of the school, he valued being somewhere and learning something. Um, so um, I have no doubt that that would not have been something he liked at all. And does anybody like it? I mean, the hopping around every five seconds is a lot. Um, I, even in the pros, you have a contract. You can't just leave. Yeah, no doubt. That's a very good point, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I feel pretty confident on how he would have felt about that. This is, you, I, this is my little Holland. He just walked in. All right. Hello. <laughs> more things hey. for you. Um, Go ahead. Um, so, taking a look. Um, Sorry, I, hate, I, I had bad connection for a moment, sir. Yeah. Talk I, about that uh, as I scroll through two, two or three pictures here. Talk about that uh, relationship that that your dad had with your son. Um, I hate I don't have more pictures of it because they actually always call it, called it Holland Camp up in Greenville. And he would take them for a week. I'm sure JJ and them remember like toddlers just tooling around his office because he would he would take them up to work um they go to the basketball gym see the gym go to the so and so practice um holland came home with a black eye when he was young and and dad just said you know he didn't get his hands up i threw the ball um and um he was so loving but still tough um and still very much a non-excuse kind of thing um and I love that he instilled that in both my boys. Um, they can walk off the court and be beat and not say something like, you know, oh, I just had a bad game. I mean, they know they were beat, so the other person had a better game. <laughs> um, and so, and I think there's a lot of that um, right now, especially of just kids getting embarrassed and making excuses and, and not just owning, you know, what they are and what they're doing and being proud of their effort and what they're trying to do. Um, he, he was really great at instilling that. Um, he came to everything that he could, which I don't even know how he did considering there's a lot of sports at ECU, <laughs> um, you know, and he was at the volleyball and he was at the swimming and he was at the so-and-so, but he was also, you know, at my kid's tennis match and at my kid's, you know, baseball so-and-so. Um, Holland had a really special junior year because he had moved back here um, and they went to every practice together. Um, and, um, and he was really always at New Hanover High School. Um, 
And that was super special because the coaches there understood he wasn't there to, you know, monitor any coach or give any feedback. He was literally there to take his grandson and just be a friend. Um, so um, they've, again, I, I couldn't ask for anything more for them or me. Um, it's just very special. It's just sad that it's ended. No, I agree with you 100%. Um, your, your, your dad, in fact, you, you, you don't know how many times over the last few weeks during this most recent round of conference realignment, I've uttered the words, boy, I wish Terry Holland was still here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it just, it was great. And, um, and I know my boys feel grateful. Um, I was so proud of them. They spoke at the funeral and they did a great job and they spoke from their hearts. Um, um, it was, it was a, it was a lovely closure, um, on just some amazing memories, um, and time. Um, it was very special. No doubt. Bubba, do you have anything else? Really bad right now. Bubba, you might want to mute yourself. I'll get this question in for you. Uh, the, the outpouring of support with the passing of your father, the, from, like you said, from John Calipari on down the line. Just, just talk about that, what that meant to you, uh, all the people that, uh, that that had, you know, famous or not, or not that, that, you know, all the people that had things to say about your dad after his passing. Um, it was overwhelming. Um, it was overwhelming. And it, it was fast. We all went to dinner the night before. Uh, we all went to Aberdeen Barn, which is where dad would take them before games. Um and we had a family meal together. Um, and, um, and I think everyone felt like, Oh gosh, I'm not going to be able to get through tomorrow. And it just kind of, I thought Ralph worded it perfectly. You know, how many times did we feel like that before games or before so-and-so like, Oh gosh, we're not going to be able to do it. And then everybody just holds hands and, and does it. And it, and it's meaningful. It's not just getting through. Um, I, I was worried it was going to be something we just got through and it was not, it was just very special. Um, and Bruce, you know, doing the impossible dream. I don't even know if people kind of understood it, but that if you read the words from the impossible dream from Anna La Mancha, you know, it's, it is my dad through and through. Um, and so Bruce spending all that time to produce a whole new piece just in honor of him, you know, everybody's words and gifts were just, I, again, I, whenever we started to get sad and upset, it, it, it was just replaced with this feeling of, of love that's still here. Um, and it's, it's so special. Um, and, you know, whether it's Coach Calipari or Lucky Graves or, you know, who, who is what, it, all of those people, I thought, really represented Dad in all his different facets so well. Um, because... Um, he's just a unique kind of person. No, your dad, uh, your dad was, was like you said, a very unique person. I, you know, I consider him, you know, not to sound corny, uh, you know, knowing him, you know, since my mid twenties, I consider him one of my heroes. He, he's in my, he's in my, you know, ECU, um, Mount Rushmore, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and he meant so much to so many people. I lost my mom unexpectedly back in March. So, you know, I, I, I know what you're going through, but you know, the big difference between you and I is I love my mom. I had great things to say about my mom, you know, 
immediate family had great things to say about my mom. You're to this day getting stories from people, you know, like me, like Bubba, that you haven't heard from that has great things to say about your dad. So that's really a cool thing that you loved your dad because he was your dad, but so many other people loved your dad. And that's, that's a really awesome legacy to leave. Well, and yes, and I'm a pre- I'm able to appreciate like how lucky that I can Google at any time and hear his voice. I can pull up video. I can, um, it's such a, a luxury um, that is not lost on me. Thanks so much, Kate. We really appreciate you spending nearly an hour of your time with us, sharing about your dad, Terry. Uh, he's someone that we have such respect for um, because of everything that he did at East Carolina as an administrator. But um, not only was he a great coach and tremendous administrator, but he was an excellent family man, husband, and just an all-around human being. But that will do it for this edition of The Coach's Kid on the Sports Objective Podcast channel. We appreciate everyone tuning in, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, or pretty much all podcast platforms. We'll talk to you next time here on The Coach's Kid. Take care. Thanks, guys.